Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 52 is entitled The Minister's Black Veil. Welcome to Poet's Corner. Periodically in the podcast, I like to turn to literature. Our greatest poets are some of our greatest preachers. I spent my professional career wandering in the wilderness to the world's greatest literature. But they are not preaching from a pulpit. They can be very subtle. Many of Shakespeare's most quotable lines come from the black hearts of his greatest villains. For example, the following memorable lines that could be quoted from any pulpit are from Iago in Shakespeare's Othello, who has ice for blood. Good name and man and woman, dear my lord, is the immediate jewel of their souls. Who steals my purse steals trash, tis something nothing, twas mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. The short story I have chosen today is from Nathaniel Hawthorne's Twice Told Tales entitled The Minister's Black Veil. Linda will read directly from the text. Unless you are a hardcore Hawthorne fan, you have perhaps passed over this peculiar tale. The full title is The Minister's Black Veil, a parable. According to a footnote by the author, it is strangely based on a true story. The Reverend Mr. Hooper was naturally melancholy, but not excessive, and everyone loved him. He was a good preacher, more intellectual than emotional. He was engaged to a young woman who could only be called a saint. Then a very strange thing happened. No one in the village was prepared for the sudden transformation in their minister. When he showed up to preach at a young woman's funeral, he was wearing a black veil. Some thought he was hiding some great sin. Such an inference was hinted at at the funeral sermon. The sermon was tinged rather more darkly than usual with the gentle gloom of Mr. Hooper's temperament. The subject had reference to secret sin and those sad mysteries that we hide from our nearest and dearest and would fain conceal from our own consciousness, even forgetting that the omniscient can detect them. However, the sermon had a powerful effect on the mourners, all brought on because of the minister's black veil. A subtle power was breathed into his words. Each member of the congregation, the most innocent girl and the man of hardened breast, felt as if the preacher had crept upon them behind his awful veil and discovered their hoarded iniquity of deed or thought. Many spread their clasped hands on their bosoms, there was nothing terrible in what Mr. Hooper said, at least no violence, and yet with every tremor of his melancholy voice, the hearers quaked. It was their perceptions of the minister, and not the minister himself, that caused them to quake. They didn't know that the man behind the mask was the same. It was the mystery, the uncertainty, the black veil that they feared. He appeared more sinister than he was. The villagers were drawn to the minister, yet repulsed by him at the same time. The clergyman stepped into the room where the corpse was laid, and bent over the coffin to take a last farewell of his deceased parishioner. As he stooped, the veil hung straight down from his forehead, so that if her eyelids had not been closed forever, the dead maiden might have seen his face. Could Mr. Hooper be fearful of her glance? that he so hastily caught back the black veil. 
A person who watched the interview between the dead and the living scrupled not to affirm that at the instant when the clergyman's features were disclosed, the corpse had slightly shuddered. Rustling the shroud and muslin cap, though the countenance retained the composure of death. A superstitious old woman was the only witness of this prodigy. They imagined things that weren't there. Why do you look back, said one of the procession to his partner. I had a fancy, replied she, that the minister and the maiden's spirit were walking hand in hand. And so had I at the moment, said the other. People flocked from all around to see the minister who wore the black veil. Only one person ever had the courage to ask him why he wore it, his fiancée, Elizabeth. He gave a very simple and straightforward answer. The following is the dialogue between the two. No, said she aloud, smiling. There is nothing terrible in this piece of crepe, except that it hides a face which I am always glad to look upon. Come, good sir. Let the sun shine from behind the cloud. First lay aside your black veil, then tell me why you put it on. Mr. Hooper smiled, glimmered faintly. There is an hour to come, said he, when all of us shall cast aside our veils. Take it not amiss, beloved friend, if I wear this piece of crepe till then. When Elizabeth asked him to at least take the veil off for her, he refuses. His answer is as enigmatic as the first. Elizabeth, I will, said he, so far as my vow may suffer me. Know then, this veil is a type and a symbol, and I am bound to wear it ever, both in light and in darkness, in solitude and before the gaze of the multitudes, and as with strangers, so with my familiar friends. No mortal eye will see it withdrawn. This dismal shade must separate me from the world. Even you, Elizabeth, can never come behind it. The veil is a personification of the secrets we all hide, even from those closest to us. He attempts one further explanation. Have patience with me, Elizabeth, cried he passionately. Do not desert me, though this veil must be between us here on earth. Be mine, and hereafter there shall be no veil over my face, no darkness between our souls. It is but a mortal veil. It is not for eternity. Oh, you know not how lonely I am and how frightened to be alone behind my black veil. Do not leave me in this miserable obscurity forever. A question that is raised but not satisfactorily answered is, can two people live in holy matrimony hiding secrets? Does a spouse have a right to know everything? Elizabeth only makes one request. If he agrees, she will marry him. Lift the veil but once and look me in the face, said she. Never, it cannot be, replied Mr. Hooper. Elizabeth answers the question asked above. Then farewell, said Elizabeth. Is Elizabeth being fair? My guess is that you didn't ponder that question long before you blurted out the answer with some colorful expletives to describe the mad Reverend Hooper. But Reverend Hooper doesn't see it in human terms. Remember, the story is a parable. Mr. Hooper is a man of the cloth. He believes that all sins will be washed away, and no one will have veiled secrets after this life. However, in this life, Mr. Hooper believes everyone hypocritically hides behind a black veil. He sees himself as the only honest one. When Elizabeth leaves, he ponders, 
But even amid his grief, Mr. Hooper smiled to think that only a material emblem had separated him from happiness, though the horse which it shadowed forth must be drawn darkly between the fondest of lovers. The first question you must ask is, what does the veil symbolize? The reverend himself calls it a type and a symbol. He has made a covenant with the Lord to wear the veil throughout mortality. He pays dearly for his principles. He is destined to live alone, and his loneliness is astute. Not everyone is kind and understanding. Some taunt him. And perhaps the only humor in the story is the following incident. He could not walk the street with any peace of mind. So conscious was he that the gentle and timid would turn aside to avoid him, and that others would make it a point of hardihood to throw themselves in his way. The impertinence of the latter class compelled him to give up his customary walk at sunset to the burial ground. For when he leaned pensively over the gate, there would always be faces behind the gravestones peeping at his black veil. A fable went the rounds that the stare of the dead people drove him thence. Most villagers are of the opinion that the black veil hides a sin so hideous that it cannot bear the light. That superstitious philosophy prevents them from ever understanding the meaning behind the veil. Oddly, the black veil gives the minister tremendous power in helping others. By perceiving him as a greater sinner than they are, they trust him in their confessions. Hawthorne writes, Among all its bad influences, the black veil had one desirable effect of making its wear a very efficient clergyman. By the aid of his mysterious emblem, for there was no other apparent cause, he became a man of awful power over the souls that were in agony for sin. His converts always regarded him with a dread peculiar to themselves, affirming, though but figuratively, that before he brought them to celestial light, they had been with him behind the black veil. Its gloom, indeed, enabled him to sympathize with all their dark affections. Dying sinners cried aloud for Mr. Hooper and would not yield their breath till he appeared, though ever, as he stooped to whisper consolation, they shuddered at the veiled face so near their own. Such were the terrors of the black veil, even when death had barred his visage. Mr. Hooper became venerated to the point he was referred to as Father Hooper. In this manner, Mr. Hooper spent a long life, irreproachable in outward act, yet shrouded in dismal suspicions, kind and loving, though unloved and dimly feared, a man apart from men, shunned in their health and joy, but ever summoned in their aid in mortal anguish. As years wore on, shedding their snows above his sable veil, he acquired a name throughout the New England churches, and they called him Father Hooper. But there was one person who loved Mr. Hooper. Though Elizabeth would not marry him, she dedicated her life as a nurse, easing his mortality. She was faithful even to his death. She wore out her life in his service. On his deathbed, the minister of Westbury tried to persuade Reverend Hooper to remove the veil. He flatters the Reverend in sugary words he does not feel. And is it fitting, resumed the Reverend Mr. Clark, that a man so given to prayer, of such a blameless example, holy in deed and thought, 
so far from mortal judgment, may pronounce, Is it fitting that a father in the church should leave a shadow on his memory that may seem to blacken a life so pure? I pray you, my venerable brother, let not this thing be. Suffer us to be gladdened by your triumphant aspect as you go to your reward. Before the veil of eternity be lifted, let me cast aside this black veil from your face. And thus speaking, the Reverend Mr. Clark bent forward to reveal the mystery of so many years. The Master of Westbury was assaulted. The dying Reverend Hooper, animated, grabbed him by each arm. Hawthorne records. But exerting a sudden energy that made all the beholders stand aghast, Father Hooper snatched both his hands from beneath the bedclothes and pressed them strongly on the black veil, resolute to struggle if Reverend Clark would contend with the dying man. Never, cried the veiled clergyman, on earth never. The hypocrisy of the minister Westbury was revealed. He curses Reverend Hooper. Dark old man, exclaimed the affrighted minister, with what horrible crime upon your soul are you passing to the judgment? Like the simple villagers, the minister of Westbury, probably the most educated in the land, has no comprehension of the truth of the Black Veil. One can only assume that his ministry was not nearly as effective as the Reverend Hooper's ministry. The difference is that the Reverend Hooper had suffered every day of his life in fulfilling his ministry. In truth, he hated the veil. He hated the loneliness. He couldn't even bear to look into a mirror. The veil made him shudder. No one, except perhaps Elizabeth, understood. On his deathbed, he gives his last sermon. Why do you tremble at me alone, cried he, turning his veiled face round the circle of pale spectators. Tremble also at each other. Have men avoided me, and women shown no pity, and children screamed and fled only for my black veil? What but the mystery which it obscurely typifies has made this piece of crepe so awful? When the friend shows his innermost heart to his friend, the lover to his best beloved, when man does not vainly shrink from the eye of his creator, loathsomely treasuring up the secret of his sin, then deemed me a monster for the symbol beneath which I have lived and die. I look around me, and lo, on every visage a black veil. But if you think the story is enigmatic, examine the very last paragraph penned by Mr. Hawthorne, and ask yourself, why did he smile? While his auditors shrank from one another in mutual affright, Father Hooper fell back upon his pillow, a veiled corpse with a faint smile lingering on his lips. Still veiled, they laid him in his coffin and a veiled corpse they bore him to the grave. The grass of many years have sprung up and withered on the grave. The burial stone is moss-grown, and good Mr. Hooper's face is dust, but awful is still the thought of it mouldered beneath the black veil. I will leave you to ponder the parable of the minister's black veil. With literature, as with scripture, we take away from it what we bring to it. Words, no matter how powerful, can never communicate beyond our power to learn. We are limited by the comprehension of our own analogies. We cannot comprehend anything for which we do not have an analogy. We are limited, for example, by education, age, experience, culture, traditions, and fixed beliefs. 
the question that haunts us is not the advisability of wearing a ridiculous black veil, but the underlying truth. Is the Reverend Hooper right? Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.